This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. To have somebody that I can just run a decision by and say, you know, I've just been thinking about this, I want to change this, this and this, and for her to say, like, maybe calm down, we'll do this first and then we'll see how that goes and then we'll try this. <laughs> it's To have somebody sort of receive and filter all of my thoughts to help joy be the best that it can and um to switch the focus to making sure that we can enjoy joy has changed so much um, because we can do better when we're enjoying it this is the luminaries on the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep for the most part kitchens the world over are full of brigades Teams of chefs that combine to deliver the culinary offering of a venue. But in hospitality, one size does not fit all. There are some that have not only changed the realms of gastronomy for their city, but the way a restaurant operates too. Sarah Baldwin is the owner of Joy in Brisbane. Sarah, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. You probably have the least amount of staff out of any restaurant in Australia. Tell us about Joy and how it started. Um, it started pretty much uh, trying to figure out a way to sustainably stay in the industry. Um, and I started it with Tim nearly three years ago now. And um, we both were at a point where it was either leave hospitality or try and create something that would run the way that we wished hospitality venues ran. Um, so we, yeah, we pretty much thought about all of the things in restaurants that we've worked at and dined at um, that we didn't like and we removed them from the picture <laughs> and we got left with 10 seats and 36 square metres. <laughs> Well, tell us what some of those things were that you didn't like that you felt the need to remove in order to make a sustainable restaurant. Um, a lot of it was um, stress, um, waste, um, a lot of like people management. Um, I think that it, it's really nice to work with people, but I never wanted to be um, – I never wanted to micromanage humans as my job. And I know that if I was running a restaurant with staff, that eventually I would have to, even if I didn't want to, I wouldn't be able to not manage the people. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't, I never wanted to do that. I, I really just wanted a place to cook <laughs> um, and to meet the people that I was cooking because I really like doing front of house and I've done a lot of front of house in my career. Um, so to combine the connection of the people and the cooking, um, it, yeah, it added an element of enjoyment to the cooking. Um, yeah. Brisbane has some amazing restaurants and has had incredible restaurants over the last couple of decades. But Joy is something a little bit different, a 12-seat restaurant, a little little kind of hole in the wall. Um, tell us about... Uh, what the experience is like there and what it's like to run something that's so small. Um, the best way to describe it is sort of like just going to a dinner party, I guess. Um, <laughs> sometimes you, I mean, if you're dining with three other people, three of your friends, then you can sort of keep to yourself. But if you're a single diner or if you're um, in a 
party of two than it, it is often that you interact with everybody in the room. Um, and yeah, you don't know what you're eating until I'm putting it in front of you or Maddie and I are putting it in front of you and we're explaining it. Um, you get to choose your drinks, um, but that's pretty much it. We tell you when to arrive. Um, we tell you where to sit <laughs> and then you sit down and we ask you what you'd like to drink. And then the rest is pretty much you sit there and we uh, potter around you, making sure that you're looking at things that are exciting and tasting things and hearing stories. And then after two and a half hours, we open the door and say goodbye. <laughs> What you've created there is quite progressive in Australia, let alone in Brisbane. What, what, what was the first year like for Joy? Was it was it challenging with that model? It was so bizarre. Um, I it, I can't. I don't even know how to explain it. It was such a ride of so many different emotions, um, learning so many things that like we always knew that when we were opening, we weren't going to know what we needed to know until we didn't know it and we would have to just learn it right there and then. Um, and we were ready for that because we both knew we'd never run kitchens before. We'd never been a head chef. We'd never managed venues before. So we were um, relying a lot on our intuition to make all of our decisions, business and sort of customer service based. Um, and we had no experience, like a, a lot of the learning curve for me was um, experience with media um, and realizing that anything that has like a little bit of a public eye on it comes with opinion that um, is maybe unsolicited, maybe not. Um, so yeah, realizing that everything that we were creating was going to get critiqued whether we wanted it to or not was a really huge learning curve. Um, and there was phases of us um, sort of making mistakes along the way where we sort of lost our guidance and were trying to impress people we thought we had to for a while and then realizing that we felt really disconnected from the business and then having to sort of stop and sit and refresh and go back to our like very original business plans of why are we doing this. Um, and yeah, I mean, I still don't see myself as a business person. I think that if somebody said to me, can you uh, give me some, you know, can you go in and run my business? It's in trouble. Um, I, I don't know that I would know how, um, but I just know how to run joy. <laughs> Tell us about managing uh, customer expectation during that first year for, for an offering that was so unique for Brisbane. Yeah. Um, at first it was a battle of, not telling them much so that they didn't have any expectations, but telling them enough to make them comfortable enough to trust us. Um, so when we first opened, we did have our set seating time. So you could only dine at six or eight o'clock or six or eight thirty. Um, and at that time we did have a menu that you could see when you sat down, there was two set menu options. So you could choose a short or a longer option. Um, and that was pretty much because we did think, you know, Brisbane doesn't know us yet and how dare we sort of just come in and be like, we're going to charge you this much. Uh, you don't know if it's going to be yummy because you've never heard of us. 
and um, you're going to like it. So, yeah, for the first, um, I think it was about six months, we had two menu options. We told people what they ate. We put quite a bit of information on the website, um, a lot of contact in text messages and confirmation calls and all of this to try and create like a personal connection so that they would learn to trust us. Um, and then, yeah, eventually it got to a point where we could say, um, most people were choosing the longer menu option and most people started to say, look, while we're here, we'll do the full pairing, we'll do the long menu, whatever, you know, we'll let you guide us. Um, and then we, once we we got to about 90% of people choosing that, we just decided um, we have to trust ourselves the way that most of those people are trusting us. And so we're just going to offer one menu um, and hide all of everything that we can and just hope that we can surprise people along the way. And, yeah, it, it, there's been tricky bits. There's still people now that don't understand it. Um, but I've learned how to... Um, be very gentle with those people because it's not that they are always um, objecting to what we're doing. It's just that it is very confusing. And when we take people out of their comfort zone, they get defensive and that's totally understandable because we're human. So it's just about being very gentle and explaining why um, we make certain decisions for them and how it is all so that we can provide them the best experience and for no other reason. And yeah, usually we can bend their arm. Joy is uh, a very intimate experience. Uh, there's a, a, a row of people sitting in front of you cooking. Um, it, it's uh, you're very much on show. Has that experience changed the way you cook and the way you perceive customers' expectations? Um, yes and no. Um, I've always had a lot of discipline in the way that I cook because um, of my training and the restaurants that I've worked in, um, I was lucky enough to be trained to be quite clean and organized. Um, so to transition to being on display was very easy. There was a few little things that you realize maybe people don't want to see. Um, and, you know, we adjusted what we needed to. But in terms of um, like making it enjoyable for them and sort of reducing as much stress during service so that they didn't feel like they were putting us out by sitting there. Um, yeah, I'd sort of already had a lot of training in that realm. Um, a lot, it was very um, confronting at first to watch people eat uh, the food that you've made and sort of some people eat slow, some people eat fast, some people are very quiet, some people hold their cutlery funny or don't drink water and we think like, oh, no, why are they holding it like that or why didn't they drink their water? Was there something in their cup or um, just overthinking so many things? But um, the, the more people that I saw, the more I realized that just every single person is such an individual and to try and understand every single move that they're making, it would just send me crazy. <laughs> you mentioned the, um, training that uh, was so important as a foundation for what you do at joy. Um, take us back to the early days. So what was it like when you first stepped foot in a commercial kitchen? Uh, the first kitchen I ever worked in was um, an Italian kitchen in Brisbane. Um, and I had come from running small cafes in Brisbane. Um, I think I was about 20 or 21. Um, and, the yeah, I went into a kitchen of all men. Um, one of my friends did work there and he had said, we need a first-year apprentice. Like, you like cooking, you know the industry. I think it would be good for you. Um, and I wore a skirt, stupidly, to my <laughs> to my first kitchen shift. Um but I got the job and it, it was a huge learning curve. Um, it was sort of 
going from the top and managing and making decisions to being right at the bottom of the barrel again and, and not really making any of my own decisions. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of learning. Um, and then from there, so that kitchen really taught me a lot about just like really tasty food and community and how important um, just the taste of food was. It wasn't about using tweezers. It wasn't about um, all this fancy ceramics. It wasn't about uh, making sure your chucks was folded or anything like that. It was just about cooking the food to make it really delicious and to make sure that the people in the restaurant were really happy, but also that um, we sat down for family meal every day and we all took turns cooking that. Um, and we got allocated. So when you started at 3 p.m., your job was the staff meal. So you had an hour or two to make it. And to make sure that what you made was special enough for the 20 people that you're about to sit down with and you were nourishing them for the rest of their shift and you are exciting them about food by feeding them their dinner and then they're going back to their stoves and, and their bar and they're about to excite customers. So it's sort of, if you don't feed them in that way, you know, how do you expect them to go and give more of themselves to the customers if they haven't received that? Um, and then from there I moved to Urbane um, with Alejandro um, and that was sort of the first place that I learned. I had Josh Rain was the head chef. Um, he, I think he's at Tetsuya's now, yeah. So that was the first place where I learned things like folding my chucks and making sure my apron was really clean and that my section was packed away every day and that my hair was tidy even though no one could see me um, and that my jacket was ironed and I always had a spare one and all these little bits and pieces that I just thought um, never mattered in kitchens because I didn't understand how that would make the food taste better. But um, I slowly learned that all of that was about like this clarity and ownership of what you're doing. And um, it gave me a lot of confidence to know that if I'm turning up to work and I'm feeling confident and clean and organized, then it reduces all of the things that could possibly go wrong. Um, so yeah, that was the first place that I learned that. And then um, from there, I moved to Six Penny in Sydney um, and just loved working there so much. <laughs> um, I still think about my time there all the time. It was probably the biggest learning curve in my career. Um, and that gave me a really holistic view of restaurants. It was the first place where the chefs deliver the food to the customer. Um, it was the first place that there was no division of front of house and back of house. It was very much like, like Puskas would say, um, you know, if the front of house member came in and said, oh, we've got a last minute surprise dietary, if there was even any ounce of you frowning or huffing or puffing, he would just say like, why are you doing that? Like, it's not her fault. It's, you know, like, let's just, we're all, we're all doing the same thing. Um, yeah. So that was the first sort of chef owner that I saw that had his eyes in the front of the restaurant and in the back of the restaurant. And um, everyone in the team had so much respect for him. So that was a really special, special place to work. You mentioned before becoming apprentice, you worked in cafes and you had a lot of, um, you had to make a lot of decisions and uh, um, before going back and learning from everyone. Tell us about the impact that at a young age of working in those cafes and sort of being a decision maker. Um, it was, it was pretty natural to me because I'd like, I moved out of home quite young. Um, and when I was at home, I was very much in control of my life and my school um, or my schooling, not, not my school. Um <laughs> and, um, yeah, so it felt very normal for me to just, um, decide when I needed to. Um, and I think that 
early days in kitchens, like, I mean, in cafes, I was working um, like as a dishy when I was 13. That was my first job in a Chinese restaurant. Um, and then from there, I worked in like a, a local cafe. And then from there, I found a full-time job in a cafe in, in Chermside Shopping Centre. Um, and it just was like a very natural progression for me. I think the, the bosses there saw that I was a very hard worker. Um, and there was no aspect of the job that I wouldn't do. I figured if, if these people are paying me, I don't really have the right to say, yes, I'll do this, but no, I won't do that. Um, so I was just so happy to do whatever needed to be done. Um, and for them, I guess that showed my commitment to them. So they would, yeah, it was very easy for me. Um, I've always worked sort of directly with the owner of the venue. So I was able to watch their decision-making and see what they do on the fly. And I was able to just pick on up, pick up on that, um, quite easily. Early on, you mentioned that the, in the creation of joy, one of the things that you wanted to remove from the environment was as much stress as possible. Um, t- tell us about the impact of stress um, over your career. Um, it's Yeah, stress has been really detrimental to me mentally um, and physically. I guess whenever your mental health is declining, um, it directly affects your physical health. Um, and when I was, when I was in Sydney, I had a lot of stress. Um, I think a lot of it was due to isolation. I didn't have a lot of friends when I was there. Um, and sorry, I'm just going to remove my puppy from the bedroom. (laughs) Oh, he's under the bed. Sorry. (laughs) Hang on. I'm just going to get out. (laughs) He's not... Um, yeah, so sorry. Um, yeah, I, I noticed that I wasn't able to think properly when I was stressed. I was making a lot of very, um, rash decisions. Um, I felt really not confident. Um, I, in the first year of joy, I was feeling, um, very, like whenever I get very stressed, it, um, makes my anxiety a lot, lot worse and it makes my, um, mental health really declined. So for the first year of joy, I didn't really have any way of managing that. Um, I had Tim there to help. I was sober in my first year of joy. Um, I had Tim there to help me sort of stay sober because he's been sober also for about 15 years. Um, so to have him there sort of helping me through that, it was really good. But as soon as he left the business, um, was when I started drinking purely because I was stressed and I didn't know how to manage it. Um, And whenever there's stress, I find myself, um, I guess I blamed joy for the stress. So it was hard to go in on some days and see this place and feel frustrated by it. Um, When it wasn't joy's fault, it was my management of the stress because there's always going to be stress in every day. You can't remove stress from your life, but you can – sort of redirect your projection of that frustration because of the stress or, um, yeah. Depression and and anxiety are not uncommon for people working in such high energy and stressful jobs in in hospitality. How how have you managed to um, keep a hold on them and manage it? Um, I mean, for me, the, the biggest tool that I use for my mental health is sobriety. Um, and I know that that's not for everybody. It's, it can be too extreme for some people. Um, but finding your people to be sober with or finding the people that are happy for you to be sober without the pressure of drinking. Um, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. 
um, and for being really open about your mental health. Um, so many people that see me being open about it message me and thank me, saying, um, like, you know, this is this is how change happens. To to know that somebody else is feeling it is um, it, it makes them feel so much less alone. And I know through like personal experience, the people around me that have, um, you know, committed suicide or overdosed or, or tried to commit suicide or, you know, ended up in hospital because of their mental health. There's so often people that you just go, oh, my God, I had no idea that person was suffering um, because they don't think they can talk about it. They think that they're the only ones feeling it. Um there's not a lot of time and energy in kitchens to have, you know, when, when you finish your shift, it's 1 or 2 a.m., you're tired, you want to go home. Um, and when you get up in the morning, you have to go straight to work and you're working all day. There's not that much time to just stop and, and think, I'm not feeling great, what do I do? Um, so, yeah, it's important for me, um, especially with Maddie, we're both very open about our mental health and we do the absolute best we can to help each other through that and to make sure that at any time one of us is feeling down, that we're in touch with that. Um, and we've taken mental health weeks at Joy. Um, there's been two weeks where I've had to call customers and cancel them and just say, you know, there's been a bit of a personal um, personal thing this week and for that reason we're going to have to reschedule you. Um, and that's just because I've said to Maddie, I don't think I can go in there this week. It's, you know, I need time to myself. This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is where Deputy was born. <laughs> this is the industry we have pledged to help thrive. Hospitality thrives with Deputy because of the great people management we bring through easy rostering, timekeeping and communication. And that's just the start. We're innovating with so many new things that I believe that we will make hospitality thrive even more than it did before the pandemic. For more information, go to deputy.com. What have been some of the positives on your life? Uh, you've been sober for, for uh, quite a while now. What, what sort of positive impact is that having on you? Uh, mostly like this clarity and control that I have of my brain. Um, so I, I was, I started being sober when I was about, uh, 22. Um, and I was sober for until I was 29. So, um, about eight years. Um, and before that I was a very heavy drinker, um, and my life felt messy and I sort of made decisions as I needed to make them, um, which didn't, I didn't, my decisions weren't thought through. Um, I didn't trust myself and my decision-making. Um, when I became sober, I got to know myself. Um, I didn't run from anything within myself. I had to deal with things that I was thinking and feeling. Um, and I found that the relationships that I formed around me were felt so much more authentic because there was no time that I would spend with these people that I felt um, out of touch or like they weren't fully there because we were sober. We got to really know each other. Um, and to feel like people can love you while you're yourself and you don't have to be putting up this, um, you know, three drink facade, Sarah, where I, you know, I have, um, I, like I'm, I'm a hectic introvert. 
Um, so for me to, <laughs> to get to normal people level or what I would perceive as normal people level, it often did require two or three drinks. Um, and so that doesn't always feel nice to know that you can't enjoy your time with people socializing until you're drunk and you feel like they can't enjoy you until you're drunk. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did relapse a little bit through COVID mostly. Um, I just thought, you know, there's no real repercussions of this cause I'm not working at the moment. So surely I can have a little bit of a drink and see what happens. Um, and it, yeah, it wasn't good. It reminded me so quickly why I don't do it. And I spent that time forming a lot of really bad friendships and, um, joy felt like it was my main focus, but I couldn't grasp it the way I wanted it to. And it didn't feel like I was controlling it the way I wanted it to. And that was sort of the first time I'd experienced running joy while not being sober. Um, and the disconnect at first I convinced myself, this is a healthy disconnect because you can't have, um, such a workaholic lifestyle. You can't think about joy all the time. Um, and that was my way of sort of relieving myself of it. But, um, yeah, feeling disconnected from it was, uh, the worst thing I've ever done. It was, yeah, it was so hard to go in and feel creative and fresh when I was there, uh, knowing that I could go out and have fun later on or anything like that. So yeah, being sober for me is, um, I'm healthier physically, mentally, um, I trust my decisions. I don't um, get anxious about the decisions I'm making because I'm trusting my mind because I know it's in a good place. And I think that's really important. Um, it's important for me to set an example. Um, and I'm quite proud to say to my customers as well, um, like, you know, when I used to drink, this is what I would drink. Right now I'm sober. Or if there's something I'm not too sure about because I haven't drunk it, I am so happy to say, like, you know, I'm actually not drinking at the moment, but Maddie is here to help you. So she will tell you anything you need to know. With this clarity that you've um, garnered from sobriety, do you approach food and cooking differently? Yeah, I really do. Um, I cook with so much like love and connection. I can, like, I just, I literally feel myself smiling when I'm cooking. I, it doesn't feel like, I'm like running on this time schedule. Like I know I've got my prep list next to me, but I'm not constantly stopping and going back to it. Like I just feel this like flow of um, cooking and, and grabbing what I need to grab and mixing it into things and moving on to the next job. And it just, everything just feels so right. Um, and like day to day, I can just be like, oh, actually, even though this is on the menu and I told Maddie I was going to do this, I just feel like I want to do this today. And I can just, you know, say to Maddie, don't put the menus yet. I feel like changing something. She just looks at me like, oh, really? <laughs> like, I just, I just saved the menu. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, I feel such a, um, it, it feels like cooking is such a, a blessing to me. And it's the only thing in my life that's ever been natural to me. Um, and yeah, to be completely sober and clear in the mind and just literally enjoying every single moment I have with food is such a treat. <laughs> well, tell us about your food and the creative process. So do you, do you have a dish or two that you can tell us about that sort of exemplifies where you are with your cooking at the moment? Yeah, I mean, the whole menu, um, I, I, I struggle to see because the menu is about eight courses, um, different sizes and sort of structures. but. Um, I sort of struggle to disconnect each course as an individual dish. I, I see the whole menu as a, a dish. Um, so 
like the basis of everything I cook is it, it just has to be yummy. <laughs> um, I see so many of my customers just like taking the first bite of something and they just look at the plate and I can see them just thinking like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, and I do want my food to look beautiful, but that's never, I would never sacrifice the flavor of it or um, the enjoyment of it or the edibility of it just to make it look good. I like that's, I have this very strong theory that you should not ever make your customers eat your ego. And just cause someone else is doing something or there's a food trend somewhere, you don't have to do that. Um, and your customers will trust you if you make it delicious. So the first three bites of the menu are just, um, like three little, um, I mean, three little snacks is what we call them. Um, so the first first bite you get is cornbread with um, ricotta and some sancho pepper through it with some pepitas roasted. Um, and it's been um, rolled around in butter and honey. So it's sort of like sticky and sweet. Um, and that, that literally just comes from me, like on the weekend, a few weekends ago, making cornbread, like quite a few times and really enjoying it. And then just thinking like, I really like making cornbread at the moment. I think I'm going to figure out how to put it into the menu at Joy. Um, and so it just involved cutting it in with a ring cutter to make it look more restaurant-y and then using a piping bag instead of smearing the ricotta and <laughs> convincing people that it's fancy. Um, yeah, so it really is just a, you know, the desserts go into, there's two desserts. One of them is like fruity, acidic, a little bit creamy. It's It's cake because cake is delicious. It's milk with um, like roasted white chocolate. So many people, like I'd say 60% of the people that eat it tell me that it makes them feel nostalgic about something that they can't put their finger on. Um, yeah, and it is. Um, it turns out that most people figure it out or I help them figure it out. Um, most people agree it's like the, the milk when you've had your cereal, like when you're on holiday and you're allowed to have naughty sugary cereal and then you've eaten all the cereal out and then you have this little bowl of like sweet milk left. Um, and drink it. And so, yeah, as soon as I'm like, it doesn't have anything to do with cereal, does it? They're like, oh my God, that's it. <laughs> it's like Fruit Loop cereal or like whatever, you know, cereal you had, it takes them back to, you know, they've got a big spoon and they've got like a cereal bowl in front of them. And yeah, it sort of takes them back to that moment of like, I shouldn't be eating this, but I'm doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the, the dessert following that is the Mont Blanc. So it's like something that everybody's seen got gold on it it's in a beautiful bowl and that really is just like a little bowl of yummy and it's a special way to finish we always say that the gold on top is to give them some good luck and like to see them giggle at that makes me really happy um yeah it's just a the, the main course for me like it's a piece of lamb on a plate that's a beautiful plate and that's just got it's just been sourced and then I give them three plates of sides, two of them marinated veg. We work with um, Neighbourhood Farm at the moment, so they're sending us different veg all the time. Um, and then there's bread. And for me, that just reminds me of like every delicious barbecue you go to when you've got your plate and you go and get your steak and then you walk along the table with all the salads and you just load them all on and you've got this like mishmash, cold, hot salad. There's like vinegars and creams and all these different things mixing together and it's just yummy. <laughs> so yeah, I tell people like, you know, that plate, there's your lamb. These ones are all your sides. I recommend adding them to your lamb plate and then there's bread here. So once you've eaten all that up, there will be so many sauces and oils left behind. Just grab the bread and mop it all up. <laughs> and the plates look disgusting. Like as soon as people have loaded all their sides onto it, I would never give it to somebody like that. 
but the fact that they can do it themselves just by me guiding them. Um, yeah, it reminds me of like a barbecue plate. <laughs> it's tasty. <laughs> As joy has evolved, what have you got better at in a business sense? Ooh, I think trusting myself, making um, intuitive business decisions. Um, I don't know a lot about uh, businesses. For me, joy um, I run Joy the same way that I've run every household that I've lived in. It's like, you know, keep it keep it clean, pay the bills, um, do the groceries, like that sort of thing. So it's like do the ordering, pay, pay the bills, keep it clean, um, make it visually appealing, make it comfortable for you to be in. Um, so Maddie and I are constantly, we have a very similar OCD about the space that we're in. So we're constantly... Um, finding new things to put in there and finding new ways to organize things. Um, and like, I, I've never decided in there that I've stopped learning or stopped changing. I've never decided this is how joy is and it's always going to be this way. Um, I've decided, decided on joys like ethics and morals very early on and I stick to those, but I'm so happy for joy to bend and, and, you know, change. Um, yeah. And I just, I just make sure that I, remember to do all the things that it needs that's um my weakness was always ordering so I would sort of stress myself out all week by being like oh you know I forgot to order this I forgot to order that I'm gonna have to run out and grab this and run out and grab that so yeah I mean the biggest thing that I've improved on is writing everything down on a whiteboard and remembering to order it (laughs) you mentioned that you run joy like running a house but you've been described as a a real trailblazer and won many accolades in joy's short history what does it feel like to be spoken of like that and and receive the accolades that you have so far it's very um very bizarre and very confronting um because often that does mean that i get grouped with these um like actual business people (laughs) or like um like I'll get invited. I got invited to do like a little festival um, next year. And they, you know, the person I was talking to said, you know, don't, you know, you can bring your whole kitchen team this, that, and the other. And I was just like, Oh, how embarrassing. Like, I mean, am I just going to show up and it's, everyone's got a team and I'm like, I've got Maddie. She's, she's my best pal. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, I still don't really feel like a grown up, I guess. And um, I see everybody else in the industry and still look up to everybody so much. And so the fact that they would uh, compliment me or um, tell me that they really wanted to come and and taste my food or ask me for advice on something is so surreal because I don't, I never have sort of um, seen myself that way. I've always just made decisions based on intuition. Um, And the fact that that's got me where it has is, I feel so, so grateful. Um, yeah. Tell us about, uh, joy now it's been, a, um, COVID has had a bit of an impact on just about every restaurant in the country. Um, has it changed the way that you approach what you do with joy? Um, it has shone a bit of a light on how important the people that are eating in our restaurants are. Um, I don't love to see, the people like my guests as customers. Um, and I think that maybe I did pre COVID, um, that when I lost the access to my restaurant because of COVID, the fact that we closed for six months and then did a booking release and we filled right back up again, um, made me 
like literally think about every, like I still look at every single name that comes through as a booking and every, every release I do. And I feel so, so grateful. And I recognize every single one that's a repeat diner. Um, and it makes me like every, like when I'm prepping, cause there's 10 and I, I sort of prep the 5.30 sitting and I prep the 8.30 sitting on, you know, separate trays. So I'll be doing 10 of this and 10 of that. Every time I do one thing or like, you know, wash the leaves or pick the herbs, I'm literally thinking about, like, I would never put an ugly herb in there. Not because I'm trying to get this like standard of fine dining, just because why would I want to give this guest an ugly herb? Like, you know, they deserve this like perfect herb. Um, and I want to give them that. And yeah, it's made me um, feel a lot more connected to my customer, oh, my customers, my guests. <laughs> I, um, before I, I, I think I was purposely putting up this barrier of, um, you're dining at joy. I'm the chef here. I'm giving you this, ex- this food experience. Um, but by letting that wall down a little bit and just being so open with the guests and just letting them ask me what they want to ask and me being silly in front of them, if I feel like it or dropping things and making mistakes and just, um, feeling like I can genuinely, genuinely thank them every single time. Like, you know, when Maddie, Maddie literally hand writes on every single menu, thank you, lots of love, Maddie and Sarah. And like, we literally mean that every single time that it's written and Maddie wax seals every single menu. Um, And we notice when there's an ugly one and we label that one, the backup one, because we would not ever want a customer to leave our table with something that wasn't what they deserve. And the fact that they are, giving us their time and they're getting up and getting dressed and some of them don't eat all day in anticipation to stay hungry. Like for some reason, you know, we get customers that are dine out all the time and they eat every weekend and this is, you know, another special dinner. But then we get some customers that are, you know, the first night out without their child in three years and it's, you know, they've saved for three months for this and they've got their babysitters and they're going to stay in a hotel. It's like, we owe it to them to just thank them. And the best way to thank them for trusting us is to just give them such a beautiful experience because I can't do what I love doing unless they're sitting there and receiving it over and over again. And I I don't, you know, why would I ever want to give them something that's not beautiful? Because, um, you know, I, they deserve a beautiful time and I'm so grateful that they're there and we can't run venues without customers and customers are humans and we're humans and like, you know, we're all just looking for a nice time. <laughs> joy is one of the most unique establishments in the country, but how much joy has joy given you? So much. Um, there's been moments of darkness, definitely. Um, there's been moments of doubt in the last little while though, I'd say in the last year, I haven't felt anything but absolute happiness Um, And even in moments where I really felt a bit lost, I was able to just reflect and say, like, every decision I make puts joy first. Um, And I like I I, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where we open three days. So Maddie and I do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, two services a night. We do Wednesday as a big prep day. Um, Tuesday, we both kind of work from home on our laptops. Sometimes we have to go in and do something, but usually not. Um, and the Sunday Mondays off are really, really important. Um, and to have somebody in there that I'm, I'm genuinely enjoying their company. Like Maddie and I do not argue. We don't get angry at each other. We don't, you know, we don't project any feelings onto each other. We're so honest and open. 
Um, and I feel so supported by her all the time. And to have somebody that I can just run a decision by and say, you know, I've just been thinking about this. I want to change this, this and this. And for her to say, like, maybe calm down, we'll do this first and then we'll see how that goes and then we'll try this. <laughs> it's to have somebody sort of receive and filter all of my thoughts to help Joy be the best that it can and um, to switch the focus to making sure that we can enjoy Joy has changed so much um, because we can do better when we're enjoying it and it's so important that we're having a good time in there and I'd say 95% of the time Maddie and I are having the absolute best time in there. (laughs) For someone who's created really their own vision of a restaurant and a very unique one. Well, what sort of advice would you have for someone that's going out to, to create their first business in their own vision? I would say to decide on what you want from your venue. Like why do you want to build a venue or why do you want to run a venue? Um, and revise that list all the time until you open your venue and don't open your venue until you know what you really, really want. And it can be something so simple, like I just want to be happy or I just want to cook, you know. And every time you need to make a decision for your business, think about that. Um, every decision I make for joy is, is this, am I going to enjoy this? Is this going to be good? And if it doesn't feel like, yep, this is going to be good, then don't do something you don't trust yourself with. Um, and just make it nice. I'm, like I know that sounds so silly, but just always make it feel good and always think about your customer. If you're in the hospitality industry, you're providing an experience and people are exchanging their money that they earn through their job to give to you so that you can provide them with something that's going to nourish them and make them feel happiness and wholesomeness and you know they're coming to experience what you've got to offer and so just be grateful for them and be gentle with them and you know give as much as you can to them and always work on keeping yourself happy decision for your business that uh, doesn't make you happy every day then I think you need to revise that decision because you're going to live with it every single day. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just be really in touch with yourself and in touch with what your guests um, are experiencing and make sure it's just lovely and wholesome and full of love. (laughs) Well, Sarah, you're an absolute inspiration and joy is an incredible experience. Uh, We've absolutely honoured to have you on the luminaries today on Deep in the Weeds. Please keep in touch and we'll definitely catch up again soon. Thank you so much. So nice to chat. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.